This is Talk To Me. The official podcast of MetalNexus.net. Your host, Joshua Toomey, bring you epic rants, anecdotes, and interviews with heavy hitters from hardcore A new life to hair metal. This is Talk To Me. Welcome to Talk To Me, episode 136. The guest this week is the great Dean Hoagland. He will be out with Testament on the... Uh, in the upcoming Slayer tour, Slayer's final tour, that features uh, Slayer, Lamb of God, Behemoth, Anthrax, and the Mighty Testament. Get a nice uh, 45 minutes to an hour chat with Gene. Great guy. Always love him. And uh, and the first time on the podcast, uh, the great Ian Wadley of the uh, Rock and Metal Combat podcast, man. How you doing? Oh, I'm fixing to be a lot better here. <laughs> oh, I know. This is, this is going to be a bad idea. I know it already. Come on. Well, yeah, of course. Of course it's a bad idea, but we're going to make the best of it. Right, right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into a quick uh, Facebook review, and then we'll get on with the show. But uh, nice five star Facebook review from our good friends Michael Conquest, uh, a very schooled musician himself. He has always been passionate about music. He brings his knowledge and love for music to the table on each of his podcasts. So a nice five star uh, Facebook review. So thank you, Michael Conquest, over there on the uh, wonderful Facebook. And if you'd like to leave a nice review. Always go to the Talk To Me page at Talk To Me Talk on Facebook, at Talk To Me Talk on Twitter. And uh, you can always email me directly, talk to me talk at gmail.com. But let's get that out of the way. That's 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 nonsense. Got the great Ian Wadley here, man. He's not that nice. That guy owes me like twenty bucks for like ever. <laughs> he owes us all twenty bucks. So uh actually he did just he actually did just give me twenty bucks because he just bought a talk to me shirt. So uh so yeah, so maybe that was that was the twenty bucks that was earmarked for you. Yeah, came over to what me. I gotta do make up a fucking t shirt to get my money back. <laughs> <laughs> well you have to make more than one because obviously you're not getting all that twenty bucks. But uh but with with the uh announcement of Rock and Pod two, August twenty eighth in Nashville, Tennessee, I thought it would be great to 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 go back to the last Rock and Pod and one of the people that made the most noise <laughs> on everyone's podcast. I think you you were on everyone's podcast just because you guys were on stage in the background in so many interviews. But uh but yeah. <laughs> Ian and uh Ian and Ralph over there at the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, uh man, you guys were the stars of the show. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we chased everybody out of the expo. It was fantastic. You know. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, the there are definitely a lot of interviews you hear, and, and they'll be interviewing the subject, and you'll hear you guys in the background and the host just going like, oh, God, oh. <laughs> apologizing and everything else. Yeah, I, I've even heard this year that I, I don't even know if we're going to get to do a live one, or if we do, we're going to go on last, but that's fine by us. <laughs> the people who get it, get it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I love Courtney from uh, the Pop Podcast. Uh, she was trying to do one with Mark Striegel, and she said yeah, every time she tried to talk to him, She'd hear "fuck your mother" in the background. She'd, she'd start dying laughing and and have to stop. But she was cool with it. Some people, some people were uptight. Some, a lot of people were offended. But hey, you know this this is rock and roll podcast. You know, get fucking wild. I, I will say that uh, you know your your fans of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast came out in droves to uh, for the GoFundMe for last year's. You know, I, I think like maybe three of my listeners did it. But I mean, every single GoFundMe donator was basically like quoting the rock and metal combat podcast how do you create such a, a passionate fan base it's insane well I, I think the key to that is just communication i mean our facebook page is just insane 
but I'm on there, you know, I post pictures and videos Monday through Friday. We're always talking with our audience, uh, so you make that personal connection. And what we offered, uh, as far as donations, we offered, you know, for s such amount of money, because normally what we do is we review albums uh, in our unique way. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not, ooh, this song was, you know, played in a diminished fifth chord. No. We're like, oh, I fucking love that song. I remember one time this chick was blowing me uh, while I was listening to it. That's the kind of shit we do. Um, but uh, what we would do is offer, you know, the listeners, hey, you get to pick what album you want to hear reviewed. You know, and you donate a little bit more. Um, you know, you get to guest on that episode. And that's something we've done even beforehand for the beginning. We've always made listeners part of it because you know, i mean who the fuck are we but music fans just like the listeners you know so you know i'm, I'm no aaron camaro i don't have no golden throat <laughs> you know right. i'm just another douchebag that loves fucking rock and metal and we've always made the fans part of the show and uh you know or even sometimes i'll, I'll call random fans after recording just bullshit you know i've just we've always tried to you know keep that street level uh grassroots thing, and, it, and it paid off and we didn't think we were gonna get donations for shit because most of our listeners don't have jobs. A lot of them are in jail, uh, you know. But uh, we put it out there. We said, come on, man. We never ask you for nothing. This podcast is free. And we raised almost $3,000 for the expo. Uh, so That's we're crazy. damn proud of that. We're off to a good start. I think we've raised about 600 bucks in the last week alone in, in the name of our show. And hopefully we get more people here this year. We did great for donations last year but i think we had four fans that actually made the trek and this year you know i keep stressing like hey man come party with us because our fans that did show up i mean you were there we brought them all up on stage you know made you know hey you're a fucking star too you know we're all let's let's have fun we appreciate you and just that kind of shit with your fans you know know, know who's listening and and talk to them man that's that's the best thing you can do that you know to get that kind of loyalty yeah, I will say that uh, you and I got up on stage with um, Drunken Lullabies podcast, and we had some some of the worst beers I've ever had in my life. <laughs> but uh, terrible. Yeah, that was that was awful. Yeah, but, but uh, a great show though. The guy was Dustin was so nice, and uh, hey man, I made the most of it. Man, tried to tell a couple dick jokes, make people laugh, and get drunk. I mean, it's a party. Yeah, that was the the odd thing about it because I don't really know him at all. I know Sinzak, but I you know obviously didn't know you either. So it's like, how do you get on a panel with a bunch of people and try to have a good time? But I think we made the most of it, man. It was good times. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And then, and then finally, I brought out some Paps Blue Ribbon so we could have some real beer. <laughs> but uh, no, no, that that was great too. I didn't know Dustin from Jack shit, you know. But I think he just heard that I'm an alcoholic, so he's like, oh, well, let me get that guy. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed. Uh, and I'm sorry that when we always, you know, we had to split these horrible beers, but luckily you were after me, so I drank most of it. You didn't have to drink as much as I did. Yeah, you would get half of the beer, then I would get a, I would get the remains and the uh, the the little last sip of the beer. Uh, going back to the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, man, how long have you guys, uh, how long have you guys known each other, you and Ralph? Uh, well, we've been doing the podcast. I don't know, shit, maybe three years or over three years. Uh, I met Ralph uh, online because he lives in Miami. I'm in New Orleans. And he, right. he did YouTube videos, uh, like YouTube reviews, and I loved it. I'd never seen anything like it because uh, he talked like me. You know, he didn't try to act like he was better than anybody. You know, it wasn't, you know, 
it didn't sound like the fucking McNeil Lair report. You know, it's like just a, a regular dude talking about albums and stuff. So I sent him a message because uh, he started out doing Black Sabbath ones, and I saw he was on this Black Sabbath uh, chat room. Yeah, so I saw Ralph's YouTube reviews on Black Sabbath, and I sent a message to him in a Black Sabbath chat room, and uh, he never answered me back, so I thought, oh, what a dick, he's a rock star, he can't answer people. Uh, but it turns right. out he never saw the message, and I ended up seeing him on uh, Facebook, and he had just got into an argument with uh, three sides of the coin, like a little tiff. Uh, funny, I guess that go- that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, I told him, I said, hey, fuck it. Let's start our own podcast. And he was already thinking the same thing. He wanted to get into it. Uh, so we hooked up and just the the chemistry worked. I mean, initially we had a we had another co-host, but that, that did, only lasted like a month or two. But uh, we've been going strong and almost, uh, I think, our 200th episode's coming up soon. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, that's what it is. But it just, you know, two guys, we, we love music and... Uh, it's our passion. We disagree probably 90% of the time. but uh, Which always makes for a better show. Oh, yeah. Pe- people love that shit. They hate when, you know, if we review too good of an album, and we, li- we like to do stuff that's, you know, under the radar, you know, or forgotten albums or controversial albums. But, you know, if we do an album we both love, everybody's like, eh, fuck this shit. You know, they want to hear us fight. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And you guys both do your own uh, radio shows, too, your your own online radio shows, correct? Yes. Uh, Ralph has the Dr. Fuck Show on thatmetalstation.com on Thursday nights at, uh, I believe, 7 Eastern. And he goes till about midnight. Then he starts a whole nother show that is all classic rock, you know, like classic rock, but shit you don't hear on classic rock radio. And uh, amazing show. He's like the number one guy on that metal station. And I am on Cranium Radio, uh, Saturdays, 10, uh, 10 a.m. Central to 3 p.m. And I do I do everything. I do rock, metal, classic rock, funk, soul. I just mix it up. Uh, you know, and both. It's just a labor of love, man. We love fucking music. So. Yeah, I believe I will be. It- Venturing into internet radio soon. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Play some songs, play some songs that I like, and and uh, and see what happens there. It's going to be a lot of fun venturing into that. But uh, we've got Gene Hoagland on the show today, and uh, obviously he's going out with Testament opening for the Mighty Slayer on their on their final world tour. You know, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, you can't say it like that. You got to be like Slayer. You know, <laughs> Slayer. There you go. There you go. <laughs> What's uh you know what are your feelings on this uh, final tour? Do you believe it's the actual final tour, or do you feel like uh, you know they might be just uh, throwing that out there? Um, I don't think they're just throwing it out there. Even if it ends up not being, you know, that, I mean, this could very well be like okay, the last like tour tour, but maybe they might do like hey, if, you know, somebody throws up some big four money, you know, I, yeah. I I'm sure they might do that. But I think uh, you know if you read a lot of the interviews and stuff. Uh, Tom's heart's just not in it as much anymore, and I, I'm not saying that is you know artistically, but you know he has he has health issues. I was about to say yes, his heart is truly not in it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean he has the, the 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 shit with his neck. He can't perform at at the level. Uh, he I mean vocally great, but he he said it. I like to headbang. I like to do all the shit, and I can't do it anymore. And I think the loss of Jeff Hanneman uh, was huge on that band. I I, yes. I I really do and. And maybe even like you know, 
the flow of the band because you could tell like maybe there was a calming effect when it was like the three of them and now that it's just pretty much him and Carrie in control might be buttonheads uh, you know and, and if they go out and they want to end that's great man I, I've seen a bunch of Slayer shows they've always been amazing they put out amazing music and if the time's right to go out uh, man they owe us nothing else man I mean they their legacy is intact I saw Mustaine came out today and saying that he would like to do a few more of the big four tours, maybe one in Japan, maybe one in uh, South America. And if Metallica didn't want to do it, he said, well, what about a big three and, and add Exodus? And I was like, Exodus? I was like, I, I think we would add Testament. I, I That would be my my uh, replacement there, not Exodus. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, any of those bands were great. Testament, uh, you know, Exodus, Overkill. Overkill, yeah. I, I, I think are all worthy. Uh, but, but, you know, fucking Mustaine. God damn. I, 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 I love the man's guitar work. I, I think he's the by far the finest guitar player in thrash. But, man, every time he opens his mouth, did you see what he put out today about, oh, but I want us all to have equal billing. I want to be equal, <laughs> not just a Metallica show. It's like, fuck, dude, shut up. Just shut up and play guitar. You're so fucking good. But the stuff that comes out of his mouth, talk about sabotage. Yeah, I think Ellefson had it right when he came out and said... He said, yeah, the big four sounds nice, but really it's a big one. <laughs> you know, he, he, he... There's no way to sugarcoat that fucking shit. It is. They're, they're, hey, Metallica's not my favorite, but man, they're the fucking biggest, you know? It, it, it is what it is. Well, I think that, that, you know, they were... He was talking about the big three, you know, Slayer, uh, Megadeth, Anthrax going out and doing something, but Megadeth... Anthrax Slayer actually did do something after the big four. They came through Louisville, I think it was like 2010, 2011. And the place, like they almost canceled the show due to poor ticket sales. So it's it's not like, you know, it, it truly is a big one. And that's sad. That's sad that, you know, you need Metallica for those sales. But unfortunately, you need those Black Album motherfuckers that just want to hear your Sandman because <laughs> they put a lot of asses in the seats. And, uh, you know, that guy from Avenged Sevenfold made that comment about this last tour they did with Metallica. Said you could totally see, like, the Black Album people. I mean, you've got Load and Reload and, and all those people, too, that, that came in, you know, came in on uh, Ain't My Bitch and, you know, all that stuff, too. So, yeah, uh, let's not talk about the Load and Reload era. But... Oh, oh, don't give me, I have to. That's what, that's what I'm reviewing on Friday. Oh, we're doing, we're doing Load. Oh, my God. Oh my God! But you know, there, there's no denying. I mean, I mean, they got they got the sales, you know. So oh yeah, they're they're always going to be the top one. They're always going to be the biggest draw. And, and no, it's not fair. I think there's a lot of bands that put out better albums, but it is what it is. But I would love personally. I'd love to see a big four show, you know, because I, I think um, Metallica just their last album was very strong. I think Megadeth's album was very strong. I was a fan of the last Slayer. I was not a fan of the last Anthrax album, but I still, I, I love Anthrax. So, you know, fuck, I'd be there. Oh, absolutely. You, get, you know, if it was, you know, within uh, a nice distance from here, I would definitely go. You know, the the, the ones that have, they've had so far have been, you know, New York, L.A., and then obviously, like, you know, uh, Poland. <laughs> We're not going to Poland for anything. But, yeah, I mean, I would definitely. You got to get that Polish money, man. 
<laughs> right. Yes, they got to get all that Polish money. Uh, and what's funny about that Slayer show, I've talked about on this on this uh, podcast before, but that Slayer show was Slayer played Seasons in the Abyss in its entirety, Megadeth playing uh, Rust in Peace in its entirety, and and still poor ticket sales. So, you know, what can you do? It's, it's harder for these older bands, especially depending on when they when they tour and and how strong the package is and what day of the night they play because I, I find that to be a big factor I know it affects me uh, because believe it or not New Orleans isn't that big a market so when bands do come through here a lot of times it's on a fucking Tuesday well that means I got to take Wednesday off yeah I could definitely see that I mean that you, you know and, and, and <laughs> I get that because you want okay if you're gonna go out Friday or Saturday you want to play a bigger market because you want to maximize you know your profits and, and your sales and you're gonna play a secondary market on a Tuesday but mm-hmm. when, when all your fans you know or the core of your fans are in their 30s or 40s they now unfortunately we have real jobs or kids or both or you know when that shit comes into play and uh, I've, yeah. missed, I've missed a lot of shows that I want to see but it's just like man I know I can't yeah I won't make it into work and let's say I've only got so many vacation days and uh, it's it's tough out there but no I got you uh, obituary came here a few months ago and I just had the drummer uh, Donald Tardy on and I was he was I was texting with him about uh, you know when they came to town and all that stuff and and uh, he gets to town and I text him early in the day and I'm like you know out of curiosity what time do you guys play it was Tuesday night and he texted me back 10 o'clock and I was like, you got to be kidding me. Oh, yeah. And and so I- <laughs> New Orleans is even worse because New Orleans doesn't close. You know, I grew up uh, south of Chicago, so all the shows, everything's like Union. Every show's mm-hmm. done by 11. Uh, but here, a lot of times, headliners don't even go on till past midnight because New Orleans never closes. You know, and, and, and I get up at fucking 20 after 5 in the morning. <laughs> so, right. you know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too far behind you, so yeah. You know, and I'm not going to a fucking show sober, I'll tell you that much. You know, so, so I need that day off. But then again, now, on, on the back side of that, so many of the bands we love, man, there ain't much time. So if you don't go, you know, it's like, I, I find myself making sacrifices, like, holy shit, is this band going to be back through again? No, and, and I definitely get that. Yeah, I definitely get that. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about that. I got to talk a little bit about f- some uh, football after this uh, talk too, so we got to get into that too. But uh, let's let's get into uh, Rob Rivera's pick from the kit, and then we will talk to Gene Hoagland, currently of Testament, and uh, he probably played drums in every single one of your favorite bands at some point. So uh, so yeah, let's let's uh, hit Rob Rivera's pick from the kit, and then we will talk to Gene Hoagland. What is up, people? This is Rob Rivera from the band Nonpoint, and this is Rob's pick from the kit. This week, I'm going to throw a little wild card at you guys. We're going to talk about the band S.O.D. That is short for Stormtroopers of Death. Uh, For those who do not know who this band is, the lineup was kind of the who's who, kind of thrash, East Coast thrash and stuff. Uh, around that time, you had Scott Ian, Charlie Benante of Anthrax, and uh, you had Danny Loker of Brutal Truth and Nuclear Assault, and he was also a member of Anthrax for Anthrax's first album, Fistful of Metal. Then you had one of the craziest personalities, humorous guys you probably ever hear or know or even meet, 
uh, Billy Milano. Uh, after SOD, he formed MOD, which is uh, short for Methods of Destruction. And the SOD album, that first one, I mean, it, it was I, I believe it was supposed to be a one-off around that time. They did record a second record, but they, it was many years later. And that was called Bigger Than the Devil. And that's got a little spoof of the Iron Maiden number of the Beast cover. So you can see it out there and pick it up. I recommend it. But their first album is such a classic, um, just one of those legendary records that's going to always stand the test of time. I can still listen to it today like it was yesterday. Like it's still so fresh. It's still funny to me. I mean, the title of the record is called Speak English or Die. Imagine a title like that on an album these days, right? But the riffs, uh, uh, the riffs, so every how, everything how they put this together, they recorded this album in three days from what I understand. And then uh, the, there's a song there called Milk that's got, I believe, one of the first early blast beats for any drummers who don't understand what that is as uh, very extreme metal drumming. And that's called a blast beat. So, yeah, a killer record. Uh, the song I want to play is called United Forces. Uh, it's got an awesome hardcore intro that stomp. That's like the really cool hardcore intro that a lot of those bands used to use that, those in those days in the East Coast, uh, New York hardcore scene. And um, yeah, and then when the, the guitars come in, it's just it's just so nice, well put together. Like it's just really cool. I mean, and some of the songs are like a minute, some are two seconds, but it's just incredible, an incredible release. And I can I imagine those guys were probably as excited to get that music out that maybe they could not have done, you know, in other bands. Or, so it was cool to hear a project like that, you know, when people have a certain vision of stuff that they want to do. But anyway, without me, keep, I keep on yapping here. Uh, check it out. The record's called Speak English or Die. If you're a crossover fan, you know, you like the styles of hardcore and thrash mixed in, that is just definitely the record to get. Uh, like I said, it's so ahead of its time. And... Production-wise, and just all kinds of different stuff, man. I hope you guys enjoy this. Anyway, this is Rob's pick from the kit. SOD, Stormtroopers of Death with United Forces.
Gene Hoagland, man, thank you once again for coming on Talk To Me. Josh, it's my pleasure, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. All right, Gene, well, you've got the uh, the big Slayer tour coming up, man, and you are the one person to talk to about uh, about the end of Slayer because, you know, you were there for the beginning of Slayer. So so how does this all, how does this make you feel, you know, the, the end of Slayer? Um, boy, I, I must admit, I guess I haven't thought too much in, in the sad way about it, you know, or really about it at all. Cause you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset that I know people come out and say, this is it. This is no more after this. And you know, will Slayer be the one band that sticks to it? <laughs> hey, you never know. Um, I, I, I guess it's, it doesn't seem like a surprise because it kind of seems like Tom has been kind of alluding to this in, in, in the press for years. Like, man, I don't know how much, how much longer I got at this. I, I can't headbang anymore. And that's part of my fuck thing that I love doing. And so when it stops being fun, that's the time to pack it in. And Hey, you know, they're, they're the greatest metal band of all time, you know, arguably and, you know, good on them. Um, I thought it was, it. I did, I did think one thing about it. Though. Okay. This is, this is, that's right. You know, I was on their very first tour and as well as I'll be on the last one. So, you know, we, we did, we did some road work back in 84 and that was the first time they ventured further past than further past the Bay area, you know, doing the West coast. It was the haunting the West coast tour. And, uh, yeah. So do you remember, so there you go. Do you remember, uh, who else they played with on that? Were they on tour with somebody or just, uh, no, it, it was just themselves, but check out the, the, the gaggle of opening act. Let me see. Um, right. in, I remember in the Bay area, it was uh, a band from LA called Vermin and they were, they were like just this kind of motorheady, just, you know, grizzled, crusty killer band. And then there was, it was possessed, I believe second show. That's what I was told and possessed killed it. And then it was Slayer and then it was Exodus. Nice. And I remember Exodus closed the show and I remember Exodus had their, their crew was, uh, a guy named Toby Rage, who was, you know, legend in terms of, you know, thrashing. Um, he's sadly no longer with us. Um, and then they had another guy named Andy Airborne Anderson, who later went on to sing for uh, that band. Well, he was with uh, Attitude Adjustment. He's a vocalist of Attitude Adjustment. You might be familiar, familiar with them. Uh, Chris Contos was their drummer. Chris later went on to be in uh, Machine Head. Right. And then... And then he was in a band called Two-Bit Thief. But um, I remember that Exodus's crew had cattle prods on the stage <laughs> to prod people back into the stage. I was like, that's the fucking coolest thing I've ever seen. That's awesome. So that was pretty awesome. And then um, as we went north, uh, Metal Church was the opening act for a couple of the shows. And wow. this is all obviously pre-album for all these bands. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty badass. I remember there was a band in Portland called Mace, and they were getting a name for themselves. Wild Dogs was also one of the openers in Portland, I believe. And you know, very young Dean Castronovo, I'm sure, was was playing with them. Your mind but, is uh, just a, <laughs> your mind is just a, a trap of so many great things. Oh, I tell you, I guess that's just from you know being young and really uh, really focused. And you know, I, I I didn't drink or do drugs or anything back in those days, so. So I'm, yeah, I got a pretty, pretty clear head for a lot of those early, early days. So, 
so on that first Slayer tour, how many people was were in the uh, the crew with you guys? Was it just you, or was it just uh, you know you and a couple of dudes? What uh, what was the crew like? Well, let me see. There was John John Araya, who was Tom's little brother, um, and I you know I was I had just turned sixteen, so there therefore Johnny would would have been fifteen, and he was. He was really about it on the crew. They had a couple of other guys that came along, and I don't know what they did, but I do know what I did, and I did essentially nothing. I was a horrible, horrible tech. <laughs> um, I like I I didn't know, you know. I I you know I, I I'd see Johnny lugging lugging gear, and nobody told me. Yeah, give Johnny a hand, you know, like kids lugging everything himself. He probably set up the drums. I was the light guy, so. I would go in and, and I remember the first guy that told me, uh, it was a few shows into the tour, um, the, the house light designer for wherever we were playing came up and said, okay, so, uh, you know, we got the guy up there, start, you know, you want to start focusing the lights? And I was like, focusing the lights, what does that mean? I see the guy up there, you know, that's, oh, I get it. Okay, pointing the lights at the guys on the stage. I get it. I'm, I'm picking this up, but yeah, I was a horrible, miserable tech and I don't blame them for, you know, like leaving me behind and carrying on without me. So me being a father of a, of a, uh, about to be 16 year old, there's zero chance I'm sending her out with a band called Slayer up the West coast. So what were your parents thinking? Well, I do re- like Tom told me this. I don't remember this happening, but when we did that last tour with them last year, Tom was saying, yeah, I had to go to your house and talk to your, I, I remember your folks weren't around. So I talked to Lisa, your sister, and, you know, just said, hey, you know, I, he is a minor. We get it. My brother's a minor. So, you know, we're going to take care of these guys. And, you know, I, there wasn't any danger of me like going off the rails or anything. I just, I wasn't into partying or anything. So, so there you go. But yeah, I guess it, it did involve a, a chat with my family from, from Tom and, and I, I don't remember that going down at all. So. Wow. That's, that, that's just too much. That's just too much to, to comprehend. Um, so how did they take care of you? I mean, was this all like, uh, you know, Seven Eleven hot dogs and, and, uh, all the water you could drink? Uh, I think it was essentially like that. Cause it was, you know, they they only had show no mercy out. They had recorded haunting the chapel but that hadn't been released yet. Um, so, I mean, it was just a really, you know, small, small tour in a van. Um, I remember uh, they're actually their, their tour manager who was his first tour. His name was Doug Goodman. And he has since gone on to work with every, be everybody's tour manager, like Green Day and like Soundgarden and all, you know, major, major acts, Smashing Pumpkins sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he went on to do great things for himself. And, uh, you know, that Slayer band didn't do too bad for themselves either. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I, I don't remember. I mean, we, we stayed at their friend Kirk's house for uh, a few days doing the Bay Area stuff and then it was just up up the west coast and um i remember that i uh, not only was i a horrible tech i was a horrible person to be around on that tour because 
I used to read interviews with bands and they would ask these guys, these rock stars or whatever, what's it like being on the road? It's like, oh, it's terrible being on the road. I can't wait to get home. It's just, you know, you're cold, you're hungry all the time. It sucks on the road. So I just thought, oh, well, you're supposed to say that. So I was going around saying, man, this sucks. I want to, I can't wait to go home. And they're like, you keep talking like that, Gene, and we can accommodate you. You know, it was just my stupidity of... I thought you were supposed to say this and be like this. You know, what a, what a fucking poser I was. So, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, they, 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 they went and did the second leg of it afterwards and I didn't get a call back. So and I, I don't, I don't blame them at all. I totally put my foot in my mouth every chance I got and I did very little work and, you know, it, but the most fun for it, the most fun for me was I would go up and do sound checks with them just so so you know because i you know i'd been to plenty of club shows plenty of gigs in my life by then and i always you know the drummer never gets to go out front hear the band's songs that he plays with he, you know they never get you know i never got to see strapping young lad or death clock or anything like that and I would have liked it if somebody said, hey, Gene, you know, why don't you go out there and I'll take over one of your tunes and sound check and you can kind of hear what the whole shebang is like. I did that with Dave and, you know, that was fun. Did you ever yeah. actually, I didn't see it any kind of any, anywhere and I don't know if you've ever talked about it, but have you ever filled in for Dave or, or ever played in Slayer? I didn't, I, I, no. I feel like you should have gotten that call or, or at least audition or something at some point. Well, I've, I've, I've jammed with them, but never on stage. You know, I was... Um, I remember when Paul left the first time Paul split, that was about in late 94, I think. And, uh, you know, I got the call saying, Hey man, come on down and, and, you know, give it a shot. And they had the person they auditioned right before me was John Deddy. And John just, he owned it, you know, I mean, John was, he really wanted that gig, like really bad. So, uh, he, he went out and took it for himself, you know, and, and I remember his, you know, John was, a, um, I'm not sure if he's exactly from LA, but I remember when he was in LA in the early nineties, he was late eighties and stuff. Um, he was his, his, you know, audition tape for all the local bands in town was he played, you know, rain and blood front to back and so i was like well boy you 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 really want this gig and you you know he went out and took it he he, he earned it absolutely he played great i i remember stopping by the studio that they were rehearsing at the night before just to make sure i knew where it was at because it was in this you know kind of tucked away industrial complex and i was like well i'm not doing anything tonight let me head down there and just like you know make sure i can find it for tomorrow and, you know, I took my buddy Dan with me and, you know, we sat outside the, you know, you could hear him jamming outside from the, from the, the, the back alley sort of thing. I was like, wow, this guy's killing it. You know, who is this? He's, he's raging. And, you know, and by the time, like I was, Jeff was telling me, of, uh, you know, a few years later um, that he was like, dude, we, we had daddy, man, but you're you. And we wanted to, you know, we, we, we wanted to be polite, but we had, Daddy killed it. So, you know, we were just kind of, you know, you're you. We didn't want to just call you up and say, oh, yeah, by the way, no, you know, don't, like don't bother a, coming down. In a way, maybe your relationship with them, maybe you could have 
taking that phone call, though, it's not like you were just some schlub off the street. I mean, you had a relationship with them. So if they called and said, hey, you know, we're taking this other guy, no, no, you know, no hard feelings. I think you might have understood, right? Um, I probably so, you know, I, it's, I would have been just, okay, I'm going to head on to something else now, you know? So, and then I think we ended up, uh, yeah, we, I guess it was the end of 95 when that happened. That's right. Because I had just gotten off the very last death tour when this all went down. Yeah. So I guess I was 95, but yeah, I just, I just, I met Devin a month later and that was really cool. You know, I was, I was, I was way, way more stoked. And ex- and just excited for the future with strapping than I probably would have been with Slayer because, you know, we'd always, I never witnessed this personally, but we always heard that, you know, Jeff and Carrie wrote all the drum parts. You know, they just made Dave, you know, they told Dave what to play and throw your double bass in here and play this beat there. And, and I had never been in a project like that at that time. Um, so... I guess I was kind of like, well, I guess they would probably end up telling me what to play. And, you know, gosh, I could probably do a lot more than those guys would think up. But, you know, it's Slayer. So there you go. You know, but I do remember um, I I was talking to to an ex-manager of mine. I think it was Scott Givens that was telling me, dude, what you should do, you're going to get this gig. You know, this is before Daddy. He's like, you're. You're going to have this gig. What you should tell them right off the bat is throw away all your gear because, you know, Slayer never sounded that great on record. Throw away all your gear. Call up Al Jorgensen and Terry Date. Have them come in and just reconfigure their entire sound and then come out with this blistering, modern, killer, killing version of Slayer. With you on drums, it's got to be killer. and. You know, I was like, okay, well, yeah, sure. I, I guess I'll say that. And I just thought it was great. You know, 20 years later, they ended up working with Terry Date. You know, that's cool. But uh, I remember that was my buddy's, you know, big idea. You know, like, oh, you're going to get this gig and you're going to change Slayer's sound and you're going to do it single-handedly and you're going to go in there and start calling all the shots. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Roughly 94, 95, you probably would have been a uh, breath of fresh air in that band. I think that was a that was kind of a rough period of the band. You know, they've they've uh, overcome it, but but uh, yeah, ninety four, indeed, ninety four, ninety five was not the uh, highest moment in the career. Indeed, yeah, you know, I, I. I agree. Exactly. You, know. uh, you were just in uh, Inside Metal, The Rise of L.A. Thrash, you know, Bob Nalbandian's uh, masterpiece over there. Um, yeah. And this kind of, you know, co- uh, correlates with everything. Um, the, the one thing I got from the, the, the documentary was a lot of the animosity between the L.A. Thrash and the San Francisco Thrash. So was, was uh, Slayer welcomed to, like, San Francisco, you know, back in the day? Wow, I did not catch the animosity part of it because I didn't think there was much of one. But I do remember that, you know, the Bay Area just kind of was like, hey, we're, we're the shit up here. You know, we're we're where it's at. You know, L.A., you guys are a bunch of posers down there. Like, well, we're not all we're not all posers. And actually, we invented thrash down here. So suck it, San Francisco. Um but, you know, it, it wasn't like, you know, the bands would come up from L.A. and just get, you know, the, the crap beaten out of them. I think the worst thing that happened to Slayer was, um, you know, they used to wear that little bit of, of, of black under their eyes. And 
I never consider that makeup. You know, this is right in the heart of every band was was looking like 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 poison or something, you know, beforehand. You know, all this is when all the bands started putting on the makeup and all the cool bands from LA just turned stupid. And but I never I never I never, you know, judged Slayer by their tiny amount of eye makeup they'd wear, but I guess they went up there and you know, like the guys from Exodus and some of the fans were kind of like, hey, man, you guys' music is fucking great. Don't fuck it up by wearing makeup. And so why don't you guys ditch that and you guys will be OK? And that was about it. You know, they 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 went without the makeup and, you know, they did OK for themselves. So what's some of your uh, your fondest memories of the the early L.A. thrash scene? I mean, you basically were, what, 12, 13, 14 when that stuff started. So, I mean, you grew up in it and you're still in it. So, you know, what is your uh, fondest recollection of all that? Uh, just, I guess, you know, the first time I saw Slayer was, well, the first time I saw, like, the new version of Slayer, because I, I had caught the uh, the older version that was kind of a cover band they did great covers you know they i remember them doing highway star and just killing it you know the leads were spot on even the keyboard stuff they turned into leads and you know i i thought jeff and carrie were so talented i was like these guys are the next kk downing and glenn tipton you know you got the blonde guy you got the brunette guy I was like these guys are the new gods you know and um I don't know what happened to their playing after that, but um, you know, the first time I saw them, they were they were incredible. But the just the whole scene back there was just it. There wasn't a scene. That's that's the thing. You know, I think probably the Bay Area had a lot more like-minded people in a in a more concentrated area. You know, LA is pretty spread out. Like you, if you are a quote-unquote Hollywood band rarely would you go all the way down to orange county and play orange county but the orange county bands would go up to hollywood and play and you know there there just wasn't a scene you know there was there was dark angel there was slayer you know metallica had already left and i admit metallica when they left they 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 weren't the same band that kind of came out with kill them all you know they they were a lot more rough around the edges and and they were too heavy for LA. LA at the time was like Wasp was the heaviest band. You know, Armored Saint was just kind of coming around at the time. And, and I, I, I don't think either band could be accused of being like, like brutal, I guess, you know, Armored Saint was a very classy form of heavy metal. Um, but you know, bands like Slayer, Dark Angel, uh, Tormentor, um, Hyrax, you know, they, they, Hyrax was chaos before that and uh, you know, kick ass on stage. And uh, then there were LA chaos because apparently there was a San Diego chaos or something. Oh. And, and that wasn't, you know, they, they, they had started off kind of more in the, well, chaos was, was, you know, a, a, a really good cover band. You know, they, they did a lot of great underground covers, you know, played UFO and scorpions and, and you know motorhead and that sort of thing um but you know hyrax later you know turned into you know arguably the creators of the blast beat really you know because their drummer johnny tabaras he that guy would go nuts on stage it was like i'm not even going to attempt to play beats i'm just going to fucking hit these things as hard and fast as i can and 
And it, it, it's not going to sound like a song. So a lot of us were kind of like, whoa, what's going on with Irax? Like, Jesus, that drummer's just psycho. And, you know, but that was some really early blast beating he was doing. Um, so, but th- yeah, there was, there was more animosity between all the LA bands than there were between the Bay Area and LA bands, you know, because everybody was, you know, so competitive and there wasn't a, like I said, there was no scene. It was like you, you would have to play, you know, your band would be sandwiched in between some shitty hard rock band and then a shitty like rock band or something. And, you know, here comes Dark Angel right in the middle, just, you know, destroying. And, you know, it just, there, 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 there really was no scene. Like, you know, back when Slayer was playing the clubs, I mean, there were like, our scene was about 30 serious metal heads and that, that that was that was really about it you know slayer was playing in front of 30 to to 80 people you know and a lot of the other la bands that weren't so thrash but still on the metal side bands like savage grace and and bitch and um you know i i suppose witch to a to a degree they were kind of on the glam side but they tried to be heavy um you know, there. You know, Slayer would be opening for Savage Grace and Bitch at the Woodstock sort of thing, and and you know, that's a really tiny little shithole that I'm, is no longer there. But uh, you know, they played a lot of shows at the Woodstock, played a lot of shows at Radio City, and um, you know, it really wasn't until um, you know, Haunting the Chapel came out that Slayer started to grow their their fan base. You know, but for a couple of years there, there was there was 30 of us 50 of us maybe so what about like early dark angel shows were you guys playing you know did you guys like straight into clubs or or was there a, a la thrash scene uh backyard bar you know bar uh barbecue types type shows too well i remember dark angel before i was in the band they would play a lot of shows with slayers at like vfw halls and and that kind of place you know you kind of rent your own hall for the night and you know, haul in, haul in the singers, little PA sort of thing. And it was just, you know, very, very punk. And, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, Dark Angel was out there playing the clubs. I, I, I actually saw him before I saw Slayer, you know, and they were playing, you know, I was like, wow, this band sounds just like Metallica. And I later learned that, you know, Dark Angel formed at the same high school at the same time as Metallica down, downy high. I remember, um, James Hetfield and Ron McGovney, I think they were seniors, and Jim Durkin, Rob Yon, and Don Toady were uh, were sophomores, and you know they both created very like sounding bands. You know, like Motorhead was the probably the big linchpin for all of all of everybody's new sound, and and I know Dark Angel was really into Tank, and apparently, uh, you know, Metallica with the everybody was into the new wave of British heavy metal, and and all the underground stuff of it because by the time 82 and 83 started rolling around all your underground bands like iron maiden who nobody had heard of you know they'd put out number of the beast in 82 and that all of a sudden was like you know they were they were setting the bar high for metal and and you know judas priest had had the yellow album what screaming for vengeance um and you know judas priest was always a little bit obviously a little a little more mainstream, you know, they got themselves on the radio with, with, you know, living after midnight and, and songs like that. And, um, but the, the scene was, was very, you know, a lot of, well, like I say, what scene there was, 
you know, it was a band like Abattoir or Bloodlust from L.A. were were very representative of where heavy metal was at the time. You know, good, powerful metal, you know, lots of double bass or, you know, kind of the motorhead kind of kind of vibe going. But um, then, you know, Metallica put out Kill 'Em All and then all of a sudden there's a scene in, in California, you know, all these bands are coming out and everybody wants to play with you. So, so there you go. What was your, uh, this is an odd question, but what was your goal when you started playing in, uh, in bands? I mean, was, I mean, I mean, a lot of us, you know, when we start playing, you think of stadiums and all that stuff, but I mean, I think a lot of times when a, when a kid gets in a band, I mean, your goal is, is, is to play the Woodstock or is to play like the local club. And that's as far as it goes. I mean, you know, what was, Absolutely. Your, what was your original goals? Uh, I, 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 I set my goals on a worldwide level, but I never thought about like playing stadiums or arenas or anything because I was really underground metal. But I, I was like, man, I want to play in a metal band. I want to tour the world. I would love to, uh, you know, have my rent paid through this. And, you know, I, I, I hope to never have to work a job and, you know, pretty much all my goals I set were, were very attainable. And that's, that's what I did, you know, and I, I did that for many, many years, you know, with that kind of ethic in mind of, you know, I, I, I don't need to be a millionaire. Um, but if I can, if I can just, you know, pay the bills and play in killer bands, I never thought I was only going to ever be in one band. I always figured, okay, you're probably going to bounce around quite a bit. All, all my hero drummers, most of them were, uh, you know, kind of, they, they would bounce from band to band. Guys like Tommy Aldridge and Cozy Powell and guys like that, you know, they were, they, you know, you'd see Tommy Aldridge and, and Pat Travers and then he'd pop up in Ozzy and, and then doing this and that in the other room, playing for Ring Bay, for God's sake. And Cozy Powell was very similar. You know, he'd, he'd pop up in one band. It'd be awesome and pop up in another band. And maybe I'm not so into that band. And Cozy doesn't really get to do his his thing in this band. But, hey, the guy's working. So I think that probably had some form of influence on me of like, you know, it. this was before I was ever in a band. It's like, hey, you might be in a band for a couple of years and then be in another cool band for a few years and then another cool band after that. And that's pretty much how it's how it's been for me i know i know these kind of sound like kind of cheesy generic questions but i mean what was your uh um, no, not at all <laughs> yeah i know it's like what was your major influence but i mean i guess looking more of it what was your uh i, I made it moment was it signing a record deal was it playing a a live show you know there there had to have been a moment where you're like okay i finally made it well gosh i i hmm, I, I still argue that fact that i i haven't made it yet you know because i i i I guess i don't want to i i never try to be complacent you know like when it when it comes to like say the playing or something like i never want to just rest on some laurels and go yeah man i I put some great albums out in the past and now i just want to take it easy fuck no i i want to i want to push myself and and you know i i i want to keep raising the bar high for myself anyway um, but gosh, I, my third show ever was with Slayer. Uh, I remember it was January 12th, 1985. Um, I had done a couple of shows with dark angel. My first show ever 
you know, 12 days earlier on, on New Year's Eve of 84. I remember Dark Angel played with Hyrax and uh, that was at a place called Radio, Radio City. And yeah, we did, we did, and I, and that was at a place called the Country Club, which that was a very aspirational place to play. It's like, I, I guess we probably thought, yeah, we made it. We played the Country Club. Yeah, cool. You know, because you're right. You know, you don't really think about things past, a lot of times as a band, you don't think about anywhere past your own scene. Like when you get to play the hot club in your town, you're like, oh yeah, we made it. And then somebody else comes along and goes, all right, you know, time for you to step it up, kid. And why don't you go on the road, you know, sort of thing. Or, you know, try, try, try playing elsewhere. You know, that's great. You own your town now. Fantastic. But now go own the next town over. So, <laughs> oh, excuse me. All right. Uh, a couple uh, current things that you've done. Um, Nam was just over the weekend, and uh, are, you, right. are you a guy that goes into Nam like a kid in a candy store, or are you, uh, you know, just kind of kind of uh, standoffish? I guess I am relatively standoffish. I'm not the biggest Nam fan. I wish. Hmm. How do I put this delicately? I wish they would have a Nam just for working musicians. I suppose. You know, like, just, just like, can we have a, like, they, they open it on a, on a Thursday and can we have a Wednesday just to ourselves so we can get something done? Cause that's the thing. It's like, you can't really walk more than five feet without, you know, being stopped. And this is, this is me being a total prick right now. And I, I'm not normally like this, but, but I, I would love to be a kid in the candy store at NAM. I, you know, there's so many things you want to do and, I am lucky if I get to go see my sponsors, you know, my four or five sponsors over the, over a two day, you know, run of it where, you know, you, you can't go very far without, you know, talking with somebody. But the fun thing about NAM is you do get to see a lot of people that you don't get to see. You know, a lot of times your, your schedules never work out. They're in a band, you're in a band. You, you, you sometimes see each other on the road, but sometimes you, you don't and you bump into your buddy at NAM, and that's always fun. But, uh, there's always something that I want to check out that I never get to, but there you go. So basically from booth to booth, people are stopping you. I mean, it's kind of a, a, uh, what is it a you know first world problem you know you're such a oh yeah total rock star problem i i agree (laughs) you know you're such a yeah and that's that's why i'm just totally being a a prick right now but i mean to be honest it was like yeah i would like to go have fun at these things but you know it it is a lot of work well i think you've uh i think you've officially made it i guess we can we can uh, say it Oh well, that's that's fun. That's very nice. Thank um, you. What's the uh, what's this TV show you did? Give the drummer some. What is that? What is that going to be about? Well, I just filmed that yesterday, and it is a it is a four part series on Sky TV over in England, and it's it's pretty much you know just all it's a documentary on drummers and drumming and and the you know, giving the drummer some spotlight, I suppose, and uh, a little bit of airtime to air their thoughts and views and philosophies and stuff on drums. And that's pretty much what we did yesterday. And uh, there are a lot of very major, major heavy hitters on this. They got, uh, uh, let me see, they got uh, 
Bill Ward. They got uh, Charlie Watts, um, Ginger Baker, um, Billy Cobham. I think they're filming Lombardo today and Mike Portnoy today. And um, and a whole bunch of major cats are on this. And, you know, Nico McBrain and, and probably a shit ton of English drummers since it is an English-based um, production company. And, um, yeah, it was just really cool. You know, I played some stuff and they asked, they asked about you know, what, what are your influences and hey, play a little bit of your influences and, and stuff. So we did the interview while I was on the kit and they would say, okay, you just talked about something, play something from this band. You know, you're talking about this band that you grew up listening to play a little bit, you know, that, that inspired you. It was like, wow. Okay. Thinking on, on my feet. Okie doke. So, you know, played a little rush, played a little Raven. And, uh, yeah, that was, it was, it was really cool. So and then the uh, the last thing about Nam and I'll, get, I'll I'll jump off that but the uh, you're there for the attack rack and which is obviously the the, the rack setup you use you know with your drums mm-hmm. um, it, it looks pretty cool actually I watched a video the other day before I even put two and two together and then I realized they were putting your drum kit together but uh, but oh nice the way it's set up it's not your typical you know kind of a um, I know this is a podcast Stupid it's, hard, looking <laughs> yeah, it's hard to explain what a rack is to maybe someone that doesn't know drums but I mean you know you're, you're basic uh, like a shelf or something it's it's put together like some Ikea stuff but uh, but you know with the attack rack it looks you know it looks like your drums are kind of free floating and, and they're, the, the, the rack itself is I don't know it just looked a lot cooler than any other rack I've ever seen I agree absolutely and that's that's been my main issue with racks i I've, I've always thought they just looked silly. It's just, it's a rack kind of looks like a cage. It looks like some square, some square tubing that looks horrible and retarded. And, and it just, it's, it's, it's not a great look for a drum set, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had to play other guys racks before or, or hey, Gene, this fly-in gig that you're 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 going to play, we we're stuck with a rack for you. Sorry, um, and any any uh, instances I've had to to play them, it's 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 not been for me. But the attack rack is so much next level action that that it's like it 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 looks cool. It's functional as hell, and it's great. You know, it's it's. It, you know, Attack Rack is the company that is owned by, and, and you know, Eric Meyer from Dark Angel designed it. You know, and the whole the whole reason we we jumped into in, into bed together on this, I suppose, was um, I uh, I don't know a, a couple of years ago, I went over to Eric's place to uh, to track some drums to retrack some old Dark Angel stuff. So, um, in a, in a different key. So my singer Ron could, could sing it. I think, um, I remember, you know, tracking two songs just so he could rehearse to them. And, um, and Eric's kit was a single bass kit with double pedal, but, um, you know, this, this rack that was built around his kit, I was like, dude, where'd you get this? This thing's awesome. And Eric was like, I made it, you know, I, 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 I came up with the design and I, I went to Home Depot and had the guy at Home Depot bend the tubing for me. And, and, you know, I just, I just put it together. And, and so I was like, wow, this, this thing's really fun. You know, it's really cool looking. And, 
a whole pile of months went by. I wasn't even thinking about it. And Chuck from Testament asked me at the end of like, gosh, I guess the end of last year or something, if, if, or the end of 2016, somewhere along, somewhere around the end of 16, when Testament was planning their world tour for, for Brotherhood of the Snake, Chuck asked if I would be interested in playing a rack. And I was like, God, no, you know, no. But then, you know, all of a sudden the light bulb went off over my head and I was like, Hey, wait a minute. Eric has a cool rack. Why don't you call up Eric and see if maybe he'll make you one. Sure enough, I called up Eric and, and he was like, dude, you're, you're in luck. I'm, I'm going into production and you know, we're, we're, we're deep up in, in production right now of, of all the logistics of it. So, uh, we can accommodate you. And I, I, my rack is the very first rack that, that they put out. And that rack is now over in Europe with my European kit. And that w- it was just so exciting to have this, you know, I knew that I was going to be getting two new kits from Pearl, uh, just identical kits in, in Chrome finish. And I was like, God, this rack is going to look beautiful with this thing. It's going to be awesome. Um, because I'm really bad at choosing, uh, drum kit colors. Um, I, I, there's, there's just, I, I guess they're like tattoos. There's nothing I could commit to, but you know, when we came up with the Chrome kit, I was like, Oh yes, now you're talking. Yeah. You know, I don't have to get another charcoal gray kit or black or something boring, white, you know, just boring colors. It's like, Oh man, I get a Chrome kit. It's going to blow up with all the lights. And Chuck had explained that, that, my drum riser, the the floor of my drum riser, which was going to sit six feet up in the air to begin with, the floor was going to be plexiglass and it was going to be bottom lit. <laughs> and um, I was like, cool, you know, even cooler. So now this kit's just going to explode and this rack is going to look great. It's going to look like a spaceship. And sure enough, it does. And, you know, the 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 rack itself is made out of dune buggy roll bar. At least mine is. And so it's very lightweight, but extremely strong and durable. So, and the way Eric designed it is that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's curved. It, it, it's like an arch over your kick drum. And then your, your left piece going along the left side of your kit. If you have a double bass kit is, is identical to the right piece that goes back behind, you know, on the, to the right of your floor tom and probably your right ride. Uh, that little, that long piece is designed to sit the entire kit backwards, um, not backwards, but it, it sits, it just sinks in and sits back. And so you don't have to worry about the thing tipping over or anything. It's, it's, it's very, very intelligently designed. So it's, it's the coolest looking rack. It's, it, your your drums just say stay so rooted on it. There's no movement or anything. So I love it, and it just looks cool. And and I'm happy that other people are discovering it. But fuck you guys, I'm number one. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I was the. No, uh, it, it definitely I, looks great. And the and the the one thing that it makes a, a rack great is the fact that like a local band will not be up there for another half hour after the show while the drummer is taking his drums apart one piece at a time and you just want to run up there and choke him out, you know, taking cymbals off on stage and stuff. 
Sure. That, that's always driven me crazy, but that's when anybody who's smart, you do know you pull your drums off and then take them off off stage. But Hey man, it does happen. The, the, like the young kids that are playing their first shows, those are the guys that, Oh yeah. One symbol at a time is coming off. And usually you got to be one of those grizzled old veterans. Hey, get off off the stage. Man. Get that shit out of here. <laughs> and, but that, that's never me, but uh, no, usually, you know, when it won't, somebody has to go up and yell at the yell at them youngins. Like, this is not how you do it. Let's teach you some protocol right now. Little, little one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, you get to pull the whole damn thing off, just fall in one big swoop and, and there you go. There you go. Um, I was on my way home from work today, and the uh, a commercial came on for the uh, tour of 2018, and it came up, and it was Def Leppard and Journey, and I was like, no, 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 no. The Slayer, Lamb of God, Anthrax, Behemoth, Testament tour is the tour of 2018. That, that what, what a what a stacked bill. I mean, if there's five bands and Testament's the opening band, I mean, that's a that's an insane bill. Sure, absolutely. Going into this tour, do you uh, do you learn all of the other drummers' parts just in case? Um, I, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I, I do because it's, it's never that challenging, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I would, you know, like I, I have, I have done that where I just listen enough to some of these guys and like, I know the gist of your stuff, but, uh, you know, and it, fortunately it never, it never, uh, has to come up except, you know, that, that time with anthrax, but I hadn't studied them, but you kind of, you kind of learn their stuff. Like if you, if you've done touring with them before and you, you know, you sometimes catch, you know, catch your other band that's on tour, you catch a lot of their set here and there walking around doing whatever it is you're doing. You, you, you stop off and, and check them out for a few minutes. And, and it, it does happen where you end up, you know, Hey, I like this song. I like, Jesus. I remember we were on tour with Lamb of God a few years ago and, and their, their opening number was a song called desolation. I think, the song is and it was off of i don't know whatever album was out in 2013 when we did the tour and um you know i ended up just watching them perform it enough live that one day chris adler had to he had to step out from soundcheck and i was like hey man i'll play that one with you and they're like oh cool can you play this other one instead it's like well i don't know that one i I know this one, but you know, and they're like, well, okay, yeah, we'll play this one. We don't like playing this one though. So, uh, <laughs> grumpy lamb of God. Yeah. So, you know, got up there and did a quick jam and a sound check with them. And that's always fun. It's a pretty stacked bill, you know, drummer wise too. You know, you've got Adler, you've got Benante and you've got, uh, Bostoff and I, I don't know behemoth drummer's name, my bad, but, uh, man, what a, what a, uh, what a stacked bill of just drummers. I mean, obviously including yourself. Darn tootin'. What a night. You know, tonight a great medal and just got informed today by text that uh, six of the shows are already sold out. And, um, you know, so so there you go. So, Jesus, get your tickets now before they before you're having to hit up the band for a guest list spot. <laughs> Which I'll talk to you off air about that. But uh, no, I'm just, hey, fair uh, the, uh, no, it's all good, man. Totally. Come on down. Uh, you know, Testament coming on a bill like this, is it, is it uh, you know, First to five is 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 kind of a, I think pretty low on the bill for most testament shows. Is this something where you know you guys want to be a part of it so you do it, or you know this is a good opportunity so you do it, or is, you know where where are we looking at with that? That's a good question, and I think that question would be better posed to Chuck and perhaps Eric, um, okay. 
But for whatever reason, it was decided that, you know, it's like, this is your slot. Um, if you want to do it, this will be your slot. So uh, apparently the numbers were of the mind of of like, well, you know, even if we open, we're going to be playing to a couple thousand people every day. So, you know, that's that's pretty decent. So um, I am not quite sure why. Uh, and perhaps we're going to get this record written that's supposed to be recorded in 2018. Perhaps we'll be working on it on the road. Um, I'm not quite sure how, how Testament works on the road with writing. Um, I personally have never witnessed that happening much. (laughs) So, uh, but you know, Hey, it's, it's, it's going to be a six week party or five week party or however long it is, you know, so it, it will be fun. And the one thing I suppose that, that is, you know, the, uh, what's the word, the, just not clout, but, you know, just the the fact that, you know, Testament is there with Slayer at the very end, you know, that's, it's a, it's a landmark position, I suppose, you know, being there for the final, if this truly is the final, you know, it's, uh, you never know, Jesus, they could, they could sit around for two years and go, man, this sucks. Let's get back on the road. So, and I think that's all that ever happens with these bands. I think most bands that say, this is our final tour. I do think they believe that. You know, I think bands do, you know, maybe with the exception of Kiss, maybe they had something like, you know, plotted out for years and years. Like, oh, man, we're just going to keep jerking everybody around and tell them it's our last tour. But, you know, if you come out and announce this is your last tour, I I, I, I never feel like there's some kind of ulterior, like, oh, we're just going to soak up the people's money and then we're never going to go away. And, and I, you know, I think they genuinely intend for this to be the final thing. But, you know, time time heals bodies and and senses so you know who who knows but i know that i'm i'm i would i would imagine it's already being uh projected by people that you know this isn't no way man this thing could be their last one they're gonna be doing stuff after this you know but well, i do i do per- agree with what you said earlier with with tom kind of i mean i feel like i've heard for years that he's kind of been uh you know just kind of ready to quit and carrie keeps you know throwing him back out on stage and yeah sure so i mean i have i have heard that also um on, on the Indeed. testament side you know do you guys have you guys talked about a set on this would this be like a greatest hit set or is this going to be you know brotherhood the snake heavy uh, you know how would a how would a set go with this um, well, there, there has been no talk of it. Um, I, I would imagine that you'd want to come out pretty slamming and, uh, you know, I am not in charge of the set list right. whatsoever. I get a text, you know, two days before the tour starts. Uh, here's the set. Okay. All righty. And, um, you know, I, I can't imagine the band's going to play more than, you know, 35 minutes maybe. So, um, uh, I personally, I, I have a set that I would put together that I think would be fucking ball crushing, but it's not for me to decide, you know, does we'd the, be whipping out. Does the, we'd Gene be whipping out set for, have, uh, does the Gene Hoagland set have like low on it? Gotta love that song. Um, well, we've been playing that one a lot, but no, I would, I, there wouldn't be time for that. You know, I, I, I dig playing that song. I love that song. Um, but my set would be Fall of Cyphodome, Legions of the Dead, uh, 
dog face gods, um, number game, like every savage Testament song there is play those, you know, that, 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 that's just me. That's just my, my opinion, you know, just come out, you're playing for 35 minutes a night, come out and destroy. And that's cool. You know, I, but me, I always opt for heavy and fast and, you know, Testament's a thrash band, come out with your most brutal examples of what you do and you cannot lose, you know, but I'm, you know, will it be a greatest hits package? Good question. You know, it would, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd love to do some stuff off demonic, you know, that that's, that's me though. You know, I, I want to play demonic and a couple of the other guys want to play demonic, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know how, how the decisions are made, but, uh, all I know is I'm not a part of it and I'm fine with that. Nice. Well, the one nice thing is, you know, if it's a 35 minute set, you know, your day will be over by like seven thirty-five, and, uh, you know, you could be, oh, you could by be back. <laughs> you could be back at the hotel, you know, watching some Netflix by the time Lamb of God's on. <laughs> that's pretty funny yeah totally man chilling just enjoying those uh early early days you know your day is over um yeah fuck, totally oh i'm kind of laughing hotels right hotel there you go yeah i spent a lot of time in my bunk i tell you i mean the, the the bunks have uh evolved over the years i mean do you get the little flip down tv and all that stuff in your bunk Yes, and those are terrible. Are they? Like I wish, I wish they would have removed those because now we all have our devices. If you want to Netflix it, you just whip out your iPad or something, and those things always bust up your knees. You know, because because if you kick your leg up in the middle of the night or you crack your head on the thing, it's just like, can we just remove this superfluous DVD player from the bunk? You know, again, first world problems hey. here. You know, so my, my bunk sucks. It's got a TV in it. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I I did my I did honestly did my last major touring in 07 but the 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 early stuff in you know the the early 2000s I always joke about because uh you know I had uh you know you know obviously your phones weren't a thing and, and you know all you could do is like sure. just text message and and on Absolutely. and Sundays always seemed to be a travel day and so I'm a huge football fan and I, I had a friend yeah. I had a friend back home that would text me play by play and I would just nice. sit there and wait for my text to come through. And, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, the, the craziest, I mean, he would literally text me it's third and six and we're running it and you know, it's fourth and two and we just went for it. I mean, I was honestly getting that. And now, you know, you can get, That's the, awesome. you can get this Sunday ticket on your phone. I, I'm so jealous of uh, current touring musicians. I tell you, man, boy, we, we are just a bunch of lilies these days, you know, and, and that, that was just the thing about touring back then too. You know, it was like, you know, some of the, some of us veterans or whatever, we'll, we'll have a good chuckle about like, how did we ever do this before, you know, the, the cell phone, you know, like, yeah, you'd have to pull over to the side of the road and call the booking agent or whatever. Oh, he's out to lunch. Okay. You got to sit around and wait at this rest stop or whatever, you know, till he calls you back and okay, the gig's on. Okay. We're going to be there, you know, sort of thing. And, you know, yeah, you, uh, you know, you got guys over in Europe lining up to use the phone, you know, because over in Europe, if you played Europe, they, they used to have the phone that would have the little clicker on it that would, that would just, you know, the number would just click up, you know? So 
they they tell you, okay, we'll we'll give you guys like a hundred of these numbers, you know, between all you guys, and you know, each of you can make a five ten minute call home sort of thing on, you know, if you divide it up by by five or something, then you know, you guys can at least do that. But you know, now you just FaceTime and Skype and all that sort of shit. You kids, you don't know how easy you got it. One of the uh, one of the local promoters here in town, uh, he had he had booked. Uh, well, he he had a band to show up at his house because I guess his house address that he lived with oh, his mom no. got on the itinerary. So his mom comes up and wakes him up and is like, uh, "Hey, uh, there's a band here called Cannibal Corpse." Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> so, so Cannibal Corpse just shows up at his house. I always love that. Holy story. shit, that's awesome! <laughs> hey, did you hear about Cannibal Corpse playing for Share? Uh, no, um, you know what? I I believe I heard that. Like maybe uh, share share hired cannibal for her son Elijah Blue for like his 14th birthday because that's the band that you know he was into. Mom hired them for my birthday, so well, they did. And they said that Elijah was in the uh, that one video of hers too, playing guitar. What's that? Who uh, where she's on the ship and she's in the see through butt pants. He's if the, I could turn back yeah, time. Yeah, he's the little kid playing guitar in that video. That That's right, yeah. And they were saying that she was the nicest person ever, man. She made them all breakfast the next morning, and it was really cool. They were like, fuck, Cher's making his eggs. That's pretty cool. Well, Gene, man, uh, I'm going to wrap it up here in the last couple of quick questions, and then uh, I'll let you get on with your day. But um, uh, anything anything new with the uh, Galacticon front? Do you guys do anything with that? Um, Good question. Like, I... I I, the, the filming yesterday took place up in Silver Lake, California, and that's where Brendan lives. And that's just a little, uh, suburb of Hollywood. And, uh, I called up Brendan and said, Hey man, you know, why don't you stop on by and, and hang out? But he didn't make it. Um, but I probably would have brought up like, Hey man, you got any plans? I, I don't know what's up. I know that, uh, Brian Beller and Mike Keneally are going to be out with Satriani till like june or something so um and you know my by the time we hit 2018 my year is already pretty booked up so so we're already you know a month into 2018 so i'm i'm pretty you know i've I've got tiny little pockets available but um i'm not sure how it'll work but you know i'll always i'll always work out something to play with brandon and the guys that's always awesome and um, Beller just sent me some tracks from his solo album that he wants me to track on. And I sure hope I get to do that because these songs are really, really fun. So, and we're just throwing those ideas around right, right now. So that's, you know, there, there could be a Brian Beller solo album, but I'm not sure if there's going to be a, uh, Galacticon tour or anything like that, but hey, I'm, I'm always down for it, you know, totally. And then the uh, last time you were on, it was for the uh, Atomic Clock, the Clock Strikes Two, your DVD. That's right. Um, you know, any thoughts of a part three? Are you, uh, are, you know, is that something you would want to do in the future? Um, perhaps. And you know, I, I guess there are, I guess there are also other avenues of getting your creative yayas out in that regard. You know, maybe I would just open up my own YouTube channel for that sort of thing. You know, and just do it straight you know, direct. One thing I thought was funny was when we started releasing, uh, uh, some tracks here and there from it, like we released, uh, I think 
we released Skeksis from Strapping. And then after that, we released uh, perhaps a death song or something, maybe a testament tune. Um, I do remember my management telling me that, that everybody say, well, Gene, if you're throwing up all these playthroughs, you know, play through some Dark Angel and play through this and play through that. And I'm like, I'm not just filming these the week before and just throwing them up there, you know, like, this is some some years old already. So don't expect to hear darkness descends coming out of me anytime soon. But hey, you never know. You never know. And then the uh, the last thing here before we started t- talking, I was actually falling down the the death rabbit hole and was watching uh, the, the philosopher video and uh, oh, fun, Jeremy, the the kid in that video. Have you ever uh, talked to that kid? You know? Uh, oh no, but I just I just remember seeing the video. Like we had no idea what they were filming. It was just a bunch of freaky hippies out in the <laughs> out, out in the woods filming stuff. And and then we saw it. and We were like, this is Jeremy from. From Pearl Jam, remember that's that's the same kid. Uh, no, oh, but okay, it's okay. just like the same concept, kid running through the woods. It's like, all right, cool, man. Um, yeah, no, I haven't, haven't bumped into into any of the production crew in in many many you know since we did that video, you know. So uh, yeah, it's it's, it's but, always <laughs> funny when you see like the like the kid from the Nevermind cover, you know, holding the Nevermind cover, and he's like you know thirty now. <laughs> yeah, sure, Stuff God, like totally. so, it's always it's always crazy. Hey, kid, is your wiener still tiny? <laughs> did that, hopefully that asked. hopefully that grew. One thing I remember from that philosopher video right. was we they they we had to leave the jungle or swamps or whatever it was and, and head a million miles away later in the day to film the, the, the live portion of it to us playing. And I remember they set up all these candles on top of the amps and they, they left my symbol bag behind one of the amps. And of course the largest candle decided to like melt itself onto my symbol bag. And I was peeling off candle wax off that thing for, for years. And yeah, that's, that's, that's my one fun philosopher story. Wow. Well, well, Gene Hoagland, man, I appreciate it. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, Gene Hoagland, man, I appreciate you taking the time tonight and uh, good luck on the upcoming tour and uh, looking forward to the, some, uh, some new Testament. Once you guys, you know, buckle down and get that out. I'm assuming that's, you know, 2019 stuff. I I would imagine, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes, man. I've, I've not spoken with, with anybody since the end of the last tour. So, you know, Eric could be up there woodshedding like crazy and you could. You are still the drummer, correct? Uh, as far as you so. know, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 I think so. You know, I don't think anybody wants to make any drastic moves and, you know, in terms of firing me, but, uh, you know, Hey, you never know. Um, but yeah, Josh, thank you very much for, for chatting. I appreciate it. All right, man. And, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's leave this with a, uh, song off the latest Testament album, Brotherhood of the Snake, which, uh, which song would you like me to end with? Number game. All right, Gene Hoagland, man. Well, take care on the road, and uh, we will see you soon. Thank you, Josh, and feel free to reach out when we get near your town. And
This is Philip A. Janselmo, and you are listening to Talk To Me with Joshua.
right, guys, that was Uncle Acid and the Dead Beats with 13 Candles, as picked by our guest here, Mr. Ian Wadley of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Uh, tell me a little bit about Uncle Acid and the Dead Beats. Oh, man, they're just a really cool, like, lo-fi, retro. I mean, I know that sounds trendy. A lot of bands have that sound now. Uh, but they're just an amazing band out of England, very uh, horror-esque in their, uh, in, the, in their lyrics very lo-fi recording. It's kind of like Black Sabbath meets the Beatles. Like a lot of the vocals are double tracks nice. and uh, and uh, you, you know Lennon sounding, uh, but some very dark like Sabbath riffs. The lyrics are great. Uh, a lot of conceptual stuff in their album. Last two full studio albums were full blown concept albums. But uh, you know we're not talking fucking music from the elder here. We're talking about good concept albums. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just really love them, and that's a band that I've really pushed on the Rock and Metal Combat uh, podcast Facebook page and on my radio shows. And so many people have thanked me, like, "Wow, you know, this band doesn't get a lot of press. You know, they're 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 not on every other blabbermouth story like Corey Taylor. Thank you for exposing me." And, and uh, you know, I, I love it because there's. As, as I get older, there's less and less new bands that really light a fire under my ass and, and give me hope. And this is a band that really does, along with Orchid, is another newer band that I really dig. Uh, Ruby the Hatchet. Uh, there is some really cool new music out there, but you got to search for it. But the thing is, all you need now is a name, and then you can go on YouTube, check it out, make, make up your own mind whether you like it or not. But uh, Uncle Ass and the Dead Beats is something I definitely, you know, uh, am, am fully behind, and I encourage everybody, man, go go get them on vinyl too, because this is a band that's meant to be heard on vinyl. Just fabulous shit. Awesome, man. Yeah, that <laughs> I, I, that's another thing I talk about a lot on the show is is the you know back uh, early '90s, late '80s, early '90s. If you read about a band in Rip Magazine and you know, a couple of your buddies hurt, you know, told you about them and that you would have to like, there was a build up until you actually heard the band because you would actually have to physically go buy the album or find it at a used record store or whatnot. And then, you know, now it's like if, if, you know, you text me and say, Hey, check out uncle acid and the deadbeats two seconds later, I'm listening to it. So, so yeah, that the, it's a completely different world out there for, for these youngins. Oh, it, it's, it's hard for my radio show. Uh, and any, I mean, you say you're getting, you're thinking about getting into internet radio it's really hard to get people to commit to like, hey, I'm going to set this time aside to listen to this guy because, you know, like podcasts, people can download it whenever they want. They can listen to 20 minutes of it on the way to work, listen to the rest on the way home and yeah. all this shit. You know, and people, like nobody watches live TV, they DVR it, watch it later. Um, so to do my radio show, man, it's like, you know, kids today don't understand, like, I used to listen to the radio waiting to hear shit, you know? And, you know, they're used to like, oh, I can go on Spotify, I can go on YouTube. So that's what you got to work your ass off on internet radio, you know, because oh, yeah. you're basically inconveniencing people. And people tell me all the time, like, oh, I'm, I'm busy when your show's on. Can you just put it up so I can download it, like, your podcast? I'm like, well, that's legal. I, I, I can't do it. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could, but... You know, if you deliver a good product and you build up a fan base, there are people that, that they do, man. They set that time aside, and uh, I love to play new music and, uh, you know, different music. I set a rule when I changed formats. I used to do a strictly metal show, and I got burned out, man. 
I mean, I love fucking metal. I love metal. But I love other music, too, and I missed when I was growing up. You heard everything on the radio before radio got segregated. This is classic rock. This is top 40. Blah, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah. You used to hear everything, and, and my show was a throwback to that. You know, like in one set list, you might hear Slayer, you know, B-52s, Dead Kennedys, uh, you know, and then <laughs> fucking Kiss. Uh, yeah. But but I, I liked it. But I set, I set a, a rule. You can request a band or artist... But you can't request the song. And, and what I always try to do is like, say, okay, say they request a band, and the, and the listener's like, oh, man, I heard that song on the radio. You know, I don't like that. Well, I'm going to try to play a song that I think would turn anybody on to this band. So it challenges me, it challenges the listeners, and it keeps everything fresh. You know, right before I quit the metal show, I had to explain to this kid why I am not going to play Welcome to the Jungle. I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, kid, you can hear that anywhere. You know, I'm trying to do yeah. something different here. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I messaged you a while back. There was one Saturday morning where you posted it was coming on, and I actually just happened to be home and, and doing some stuff, and, and I turned it on, and, uh, you know, it was it was good stuff, man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed what I heard. But, yeah, you know, uh, the the time of the day and, and kids and all the other stuff, there's not a lot of time, you know, to, to devote to that. But, uh, actually, it was funny. You were talking about, you know, being a young kid and, and uh, you know, setting aside time to listen to stuff. I mean, there was, you know, Headbangers Ball, obviously, that was that was 100%. You know, I was, you know, a nerd sitting at home on Saturday nights watching Headbangers Ball, recording it, and then so I could watch it all through the week, too. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I had to be home to watch Headbangers Ball. And then also uh, Sunday nights in Nashville, they had, uh, uh, what was it, the uh, Metal Shop. Oh yeah, metal shop. Oh yeah, I used to listen to metal shop. So yeah, I would I would listen to you know that on Sunday nights and uh, you know, um, Headbangers Ball on Saturday, and you know and that was like that was how you were gonna hear your metal. It wasn't gonna be on. I remember hearing one on uh, on actual metal on the actual rock and roll station in Nashville, and it like it blew me away that they were playing one on the radio. And this was this was years after you know Injustice for All. This wasn't this wasn't it wasn't a new song when I heard it. But I was just like, wow, they're playing like random Metallica on the on the radio and now. You know that's on classic rock radio probably. You know it's it's so you know and then they became a mandatory Metallica where they would play you know three songs a night by Metallica and stuff. But but yeah, there for a while, man, you were not going to hear that stuff unless it was on a specialty show. Well, I remember the, the, distinctly the first time I ever heard Metallica. I had heard about them, like I'd read about them in Hit Parader, and uh, some kids at school, I was in junior high, but some kids were going to see Ozzy on the Ultimate Sin Tour when they were opening up on the Puppets Tour. And they're like, oh, you know, this band is like, you've never heard anything this fast, and this heavy, and this evil. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm kind of intrigued, you know. But at this time, I, you know, I think heavy evil shit is Cinderella. <laughs> you know? but <laughs> Which I was, they were. I was going to a funeral, my cousin's funeral, and I was riding with a friend of mine, and his dad had a uh, had a Cadillac with a cell phone. And we're talking the mid-80s. So wow. He, yeah, this guy had, like, four antennas on his fucking car. So this, you know, this phone that was as big as a fucking, you know, a, a brick of fucking weed, you know, that he would use. But he had to have all these antennas. And we picked up a metal station out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And this is, like, in South Chicago suburbs. We didn't have a metal station in Chicago. And I heard Fight Fire with Fire, and it scared the living shit out of me. 
and, and then I went home and I lined my bedroom with tin foil, like hooked up to a radio antenna, trying to pick up this metal station. Because <laughs> I was like, oh my god, there's actually a radio station that plays this type of music. It was insane, you know. In Chicago, well, it, we we didn't get a metal station until like ninety, and like the end of ninety. So like we're talking around the time Steelheart was big, and the radio station lasted about six months, and then grunge came in and they closed the station. So yeah, Chicago always uh Chicago always had a really like bizarre scene. You know, you would have, you know, your ministries and all that stuff. It, it you know you it, it. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, and it was a great place to see shows when I was growing up because everybody played Chicago. I mean, yeah. every band, you know, you hit New York, L.A., Chicago. So I was never at a loss for music. But, uh, yeah, you're right. It was weird because, like, the industrial, the ministry scene was real big. But, man, metal shows were just huge in Chicago. And I was, I was lucky enough. I missed out on the arena shit, you know, of the 80s. I was a little bit too young. I saw a few shows, but, you know, I didn't get to see, like, you know the Power Slave tour, or nothing like that. But uh, I, I got to see amazing club shows in the early '90s. You know, just at the Rib, at the Aragon Brawl Room. I mean, just legendary venues uh, and, and legendary shows. So I, I was very lucky there. Yeah, that was one of the. You know, when you look at uh, you know band itineraries when you were a kid, and you would. Uh, dream about going on tour you would want to play like the 930 club in dc and cbgb's in new york but i mean the metro in chicago yeah, uh, you know it isn't it, it was always one of those places where you know i i think i walked past it once but i never actually got to play it but i, I would have loved to have gone there and seen shows and all that stuff yeah i i, I went there drinking but I, I never caught a show there most of the stuff i went to was at the aragon ballroom uh, which is still my favorite venue to this day and and the Riv, uh, the Riviera was a real good club too. Yeah, uh, but good, good times, good times. I miss it. Yeah, if it, if it wasn't for the weather, I would love to move to Chicago. Oh, it's a great city, but that's why I fucking left. <laughs> I can't stand the fucking cold. <laughs> it, it, as, as much as I hate the fucking South, I hate I hate the cold worse. So uh, I don't know if you guys saw or not, but I, I posted a new Talk to Me T-shirt with the uh, the Pentagram Tennessee Titans logo that I put together, and uh, man, that's probably my favorite shirt that I've ever put out. Uh, you know, whatever band I've ever been in, whatnot. But uh, but once I got those logos back, I just I, it cracked me up. But uh, it's funny how much the Pentagram still bothers people. I've actually already had a few people go. I don't know if you should put that out or not. And I'm like, really? The Pentagram still in 2018 really bothers people, but. Uh, but yeah, the, the the Tennessee Titans pentagram shirt. Uh, make sure to check the links in the uh, show notes for the uh, Redbubble store and go get yourself a talk to me pentagram flaming Titans logo pentagram shirt. Those things are awesome. But uh, the the reason I say that is because I'm actually curious on how you grow up a little bit south of Chicago. You moved to New Orleans, but you're a Raiders fan. That makes absolutely no sense. Well, when I was four and five, I lived out in California. And oh, okay. We're talking late 70s, 78, 79. And the Raiders were like the meanest, nastiest fucking team. You know, and, and just like even if we lost, we still whooped the shit out of you. And <laughs> I, I just fell in love. I, I felt, and, and my whole family's just like wanted to disown me because they're all Bears fans. You're yeah, like, yeah. Like, like, no, you're a fucking Bears fan. I'm like, hey, come on. Can't we all agree? I mean, you know, I love the Cubs. The Cubs are my team. Can we, you know? Can we get some peace there? But no, 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 they fucking, they, they hated me. They hated me. But I've been a Raiders fan since 78, 
And uh, it ain't fucking easy, but it's it's the only life I know. <laughs> you know, nice. and, and I love it. I'm, I'm so I'm so fucking sad. We're moving to Vegas. I think that's horrible. I mean, we're, we 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 deserve to be in fucking Oakland. Uh, you know, at the very worst, L.A. But fucking Vegas. Oh God. I say of all you know, of all teams, though, I think that they make the most sense. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just I, I love the city of Oakland. I've been lucky enough to see a few games in the Coliseum, and I'm uh, going back this year. Uh, but man, just stay in fucking Oakland. But it, it, it's a fucking done deal. And I recently had a friend move to Vegas, so at least I got a place to stay when I go see a fucking game. You know. But yeah. I, I I heard talk that possibly, and, and and this blows my mind. They're talking about changing. Possibly not only the colors but the name. If they do that, wow. I, I think I give up on fucking football. You know, I don't think you can change that name though. But I mean, you know, I guess the, I mean, not that the Oilers had the, you know, the the history of the Raiders. But I mean, I guess if you can change some of those names, I guess you can change the uh, Raiders too. I mean, money money talks. These decisions are all made by people, uh, you, you know, uh, very wealthy people who aren't fans. They're business people. So, yeah, the, the the Titans owner came out saying that she's going to change the uh, the color scheme and the logo. And I, I read some of the, like the rumor mill stuff about it being more of a, a red team. And I was like, ah, oh, God, no. Like, you know, I like bl- I like blue. I like navy blue. Like, let's not do red. No. And, and these people <laughs> don't understand, man. That means a lot to the fucking fans. You know, those that's your colors. You know, that's what you grew up. That's what you love. And. I hate when I see other teams change their logo. I mean, even teams I can't fucking stand. I still want those classic logos and classic colors. Well, it's like the Broncos Power D or whatever it is, the old D logo. Like that, when they do the throwback Broncos jerseys, those look so much cooler than what they have now. I don't know. Anything Broncos looks... <laughs> I, I, I was poking the bear there. Don't worry. Fuck them fucking donkey fucking sons of bitches. <laughs> and they had a horse face fucking Elway. I hate all them motherfuckers. My old lady's a Broncos fan, by the way. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, How's yeah. that work? Oh, oh it's, it's incredible hate fucking. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> two, ti- two times a year, there's a, there's at least one nice hate, hate fuck in the, in the Wadley household. Yeah, and we've been together for eight, so it's, it's exactly two times a year. Whether we want to or not. So, were you uh, were you around other uh, Saints fans in the uh, during the Minneapolis miracle? Uh, no, no. I, I, w- I was watching in my TV, laughing. Are you really talking about fucking me? Yeah, honey, it's a podcast. Yeah, he fucked this. Oh boy! Now I'm gonna get it once a year. <laughs> Maybe oh, once in preseason. Yeah, live podcasting. You gotta love it. Uh, yeah, so the mini- the, uh, the Minnesota game. Yeah, no, I was watching that in, uh, in my bedroom. But I live above a bar, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> and I can hear the people downstairs. Like, oh, my God, yeah. But, you know, of course, I love it because I can't stand the Saints. Ah, I, I don't I don't have any hate for the Saints. I don't really have any hate for many NFC teams. But, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, you know, I shouldn't say I hate the Saints, but uh, there's a lot of like the people like, oh, you live in New Orleans now, you got to be a fucking Saints fan. And I'm like, well, what if your job transfer you to Atlanta? Are you going to be a Falcons fan? No. Well, I'm like, well, why the fuck would I be a Saints fan? 
And and I see a lot of fair weather shit. Like when the Saints are winning, everybody comes out of the fucking woodwork. And when they do shitty, uh, you know, you can't find anybody. I can't stand shit like that. <laughs> they used to call me the Lone Raider when I lived in Florida. Because after we got our ass kicked in the Super Bowl, I was the only Raider fan that showed up the next year. <laughs> you know, I'm like, fuck, I stick by my team no matter what, man. I, I'm all about loyalty. Oh, absolutely, man. I, I, I live, you know, I'm, I'm like an hour away from Indianapolis, and I cannot stand the Colts. So, you know, every, every NFL logoed thing here in town is, is Colts logoed, logoed, and uh, I can't stand it. Well, how did you, uh, you know, Titans are, you know, to me at least, because I'm an old man, a fairly new team. Who was your team before the Titans were around? Well, that was 20 years ago when the Titans came to town. Oh, my and, God. Uh, Is it that long ago? <laughs> Holy shit. They came to town in uh, 97. Uh, so um, I was living in Nashville. I mean, I grew up in Nashville. And um, and my they were, they came to town my senior year of high school. And before that, I... I I didn't really care for sports. I was like so. I was such a metalhead that like sports just didn't really get into my vernacular. And then, uh, and then when the team came to town, um, I started going to games and immediately fell in love with it. And obviously, they were a winner right out the gate. You know, Super Bowl the first year they you know were the Titans. So uh, and then uh, started going to games and just you know when I get and I'm the I'm that type of person that if I'm into a band I'm into that band like I know every member and every you know guitar you know and every album and every song and uh so so as soon as I like fell in love with the uh, sport um that's when I I, I just you know, like went in head first and now you know and now even you know here in town uh, you know, Sunday ticket, and I watch every week. You know, w- you know, win or lose, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, as uh, you know, the wife hates it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> my three hours on Sunday—that's all I need. Hey, so we both have that in common. We're both hated. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, she loves me most the rest of the week, but when it comes to like, you know, let's go do something with the kids, I'm like, it's the fucking Titans. They're playing. You know, that's it's never good. They don't understand. <laughs> ah, women. Ah. All right, a couple quick uh, rock and metal combat questions, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up. But uh, what's like one album that you guys went into? Like you're like, I'm gonna fucking hate this album, and then, uh, and then giving it a few uh, listens, you're like, oh, that's actually a pretty good fucking album. You know what? Uh, what's what's something that maybe the podcast has changed your mind on? Uh, well, the podcast has changed my mind on a lot of shit, but I don't know if it was so much like something I thought I was gonna hate, but just stuff I didn't know. Uh, like we just did a recent episode on Venom and I just never really checked them out, you know, and we did welcome to hell, man. And I fell in love with that. Uh, another one was iced earth, uh, what was amazing, you know? And I was like, you know, and it's never like, I didn't like iced earth. It's just like, you know, you only got so much time, you know, and sometimes you, you just don't get into a band and, uh, listen to it and was blown away. And I was actually like mad at myself, like, damn, why didn't I listen the, you know, why haven't I been listening to this band for 20 years? Uh, so it's, it, it's more that discovering shit that I, that I didn't know than I don't know if I've really had uh, my opinion changed on something. I, Ralph tried. We, we actually did one episode uh, because when we do the fundraising for the expo, you know, we let our fans pick everything. Well, Ralph donated a lot of money himself, and, and he made me review, uh, well, us review uh, an REO Speedwagon album. <laughs> 
and he and he loves that like old Ario Speedwagon in Kansas and Sticks because he he's uh, what like nine years older than me or ten years older than me. So that's his era. Like I love a lot of cock rock because that's when I grew up, you know. Uh, right. But he's like, oh, th- th- this is an Ario Speedwagon. This is before you know they got all sappy. This is a heavier one. I, th- I think you'll appreciate him now. And, and it was the worst fucking shit I ever heard in my life. God damn, was it so bad? It was, <laughs> it was so bad. But you know, uh, it's you know, nothing will ever replace what you loved in your youth. You know, when you're first discovering music and you get hardcore. You know, those memories you have. Like, dude, I fucking love Winger, and I know I should. You know, like I like everything that I know about music, and I love like tells me I shouldn't love Winger, but there's just something about like when that came out. Like, I, I hear that music, and I chuckle, and I think about, you know, just a, a misspent youth that was a lot of fun. And so it takes me to a happy place, and I think that's what Ario Speedwagon does for him. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, our, uh, our, our episodes, uh, you know, we have a great, great following, uh, but, like, nothing succeeds like our Kiss episodes. And, and, and now I, I get pissed about that because, like, these same people listen like, man, check out these other episodes we do because I'm kind of like you guys. I don't know this band, but I'm checking it out and I'm discovering new music that I love. And I always want to discover new music, but there's a lot of people who don't, you know. They just want to hear the same old shit they know they like. And I'm always out looking for something new, something, you know, like, oh, wow, you know, because... You can only listen to the stuff you love so much before you get, you know, sick of it. Like, I love right. it. It's in my fucking DNA, man. They were my favorite band for years and years and years. But there's more shit out there, you know? And uh, give it a chance, you know? What was your uh, views on the Vinnie Vincent, uh, you know, reemergence? Uh, I, I think a lot of other people got more excited than me because I had already met him. I met him in 96. Uh so I kind of already had that moment, and I was far more of a Kiss fan back then anyway. I mean, Kiss Kiss was my life from the age of 12 to, like, 26. And, you know, when Psycho Shithouse came out, I was like, this is fucking horrible. <laughs> you, know, you know, and then now, now the yeah. whole thing with the other guys dressed it's like, I just don't even care anymore. Now, to me, it is just, like, fucking clowns and makeup, and I just saw them a couple months ago, and it was like the worst show I've ever seen in my life. I was so... We, we did a whole podcast about it called Ian's Kiss Catastrophe, all with K's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. But it was just like, oh my God, this band was my fucking life, and look what they're, they're reduced to. Uh, but, you know, I'm happy for, you know, people like Chris and Zach and Aaron Camaro who've never met him before and got to see him. So the people who enjoyed it, man, great. As long as you're having fun. You know, God bless, but, uh, you know, that boat sailed for me. I could care. I, I It was just cool to, uh, honestly, I, I think I was, uh, honestly, I think I was happier for Sinzak and Camaro for uh, for all the work they've done over the years doing all those Vinnie Vincent specials and even uh, even a fake Vinnie Vincent interview that, you know, may or may not have happened. I heard that one. That guy was good. He was good. Yeah. The guy doing Vinnie Vincent, man, that yeah. was solid. Yeah, that's talent there. <laughs> I, check that one out. Uh, yeah. but, but no, I'm, I'm happy for the people who, who like, you know, like, and Ralph just did the fucking, he paid the $2,000 to meet Gene Simmons and, uh, and, uh, Ace Fraley and all that shit. And he got the vault and Hey, if you got the money and you're into it and it makes you happy, go for it. You know, 
Yeah. I just don't care anymore. I, I really, I've met them all. I've met every, I have met and got autographs from every KISS member except Eric Carr and Mark St. John. Uh, so Good so, luck with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I've, I've, well, I've, I've done all that and uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, if you've got the, you know, the two grand to do the vault, when it first kind of popped up, it was kind of like, I don't know, but, you know, Gene's like pulling out all the stops on these, uh, on these, you know, vault experiences or whatever. And, you know, Vinny's supposed to be at the Nashville one and Ace has been at a few of them. And, you know, Bruce was out at the LA one and uh, Eric Singer there. So he's, you know, these are, uh, I guess, events, you know, not necessarily just uh, two grand, you know, shake my hand, take my picture and uh, get out of here, kid. You know, it seems like he's actually doing a lot of stuff here. Yeah, no, that's great. But, I, you know, I'm just thinking now, you know, at I'm almost 44 years old, two grand. Like, oh, that's a down payment on a new car. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I, I don't want to hear fucking 10 CDs of shitty demos. I've already met you, <laughs> you know. So, you know, right. he just... But at the same time, like, if I had the money sitting in the bank and David Lee Roth was coming to town, I'd fucking do it, you know? So it, it, it's all what you're into, you know? And, you know, or, and, or Sammy Hagar, you know, whatever. Oh, fuck Sammy Hagar. I'd, I'd pay $2,000 to beat the <laughs> shit out of Sammy Hagar. Uh, don't get me started. Don't get me started, Josh Jimmy. <laughs> We're going to tell you, me and you, Cabo Wabo next year. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I'll go to jail. I go to jail. I don't know. I got a feeling fans of music will bail me out, though. Nice. Uh. Oh, good times, man. Well, Ian Wildly, man, thanks for taking the time tonight, and uh, and uh, make sure everybody out there that listens to my show that does not partake in some uh, some rock and metal combat podcast, make sure you're checking those guys out. Well, Josh, thank you so much for having me, dude. It's it's an honor. Uh, you know, great success on your show, man. You're getting these amazing interviews, and 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 you're a super nice guy. You know, I. I a lot of people didn't come up to me at the Rocket Pod Expo, but you were you were very nice, and, and hopefully I get to spend more time with you this year, and uh, we get drunk all over again. We will absolutely do that. So uh, so once again, thank you to Gene Hoagland for taking the time. Make sure you guys are checking out Testament opening for Slayer. I should not have to tell you that. And uh, once again, man, Ian Wadley, thanks for taking the time, and uh, we will talk to you guys next Thursday. Have a great week. Let's have a big go!